Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Professor Gibove from Switzerland, who is appreciated in the musical world as a many-sided, original and cultivated artist, active in many fields. He is constantly on the road traveling to all parts of the world where organs are played and keeps a busy concert schedule of about 60 recitals per year. His discography of more than 50 records and CDs includes recordings made mostly on historical instruments of Switzerland, France, Spain, Latin America and lately also in Japan and in the Philippines. His activities in the preservation of historical instruments are appreciated all over the world and he has advised organ builders and restorers in Europe, Japan and both Americas, as well as in the Republic of the Philippines. With his wife Marisa, he has revived the organ of the Alain family, for which Jean Alain composed most of his music. This instrument is now restored and uh, reinstalled in one of the former convent buildings in the beautiful Clunisian site and village of Romain-Mautier, Switzerland, where yearly organ academies are held under his direction. As a composer, he has worked much for theatre and films, but his catalogue of over 250 opus numbers includes all kinds of music. Much of his organ music has been published by various companies, Oxford University Press, Schola Cantorum and uh, Eulenburg. A scholar and investigator, he has also published over 2,000 various articles in musical journals on matters related to the organ. Professor Bové is chief editor of the Swiss organ periodical La Tribune de l'Orgue. A specialist of Hispanic organ music, he has carried out a survey of historical organs in Mexico and Brazil in cooperation with UNESCO and the Swiss Cultural Foundation Pro Helvetia. During 20 years, he has taught courses for interpretation of Spanish organ music at the University of Salamanca. He is giving numerous master classes on this and other subjects in many festivals, universities and academies all over the world. He functions as a juror in major international organ competitions. Guy Beauvais has been professor of organ at the Musikhochschule in Basel, Switzerland, from which he has retired in July 2008, an organist of the Collegiate Church of uh, Neuchâtel from 1988 to 2009. He is honorary citizen of the city of Dallas, Texas, and Dr. Honoris Clause of the University of Neuchâtel. He has been honored twice by the Japanese government for his activities as a teacher and by the government of the Philippines for his activities in favor of the preservation of historical organs and the education of young Filipino organists. He has been awarded in 2007 the prestigious prize of the Institute Neuchâtelois. In this conversation, Professor Gibove shares his insights about the future of organ art in the world. Let's go to the show. 
Welcome, Professor Beauvais, to this conversation. I've been waiting to to have uh, this interview for many, many months now, and uh, we've been uh, um, uh, connected with, uh, with via different means. You came to Vilnius uh, seven years ago and played remarkable recital at Vilnius University St. John's Church. I remember that very dearly. And uh, you're so generous with all your activities throughout the organ world. Um, thank you so much for your time and insights and generosity. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. Uh, for starters, uh, let me ask you the question that is always um, uh, uh, fantastic to hear the answer from our guests uh, um, when you were little do you remember the time uh, when you were first introduced to the pipe organ can you share us the story yes very well my uh, uh, relative of mine an aunt of mine uh, was an organist Marie Dufour she was an organist in Lausanne Yes, and uh, my grandmother, who played also the organ in small churches as an amateur, um, just sent me to her uh, to have some organ lessons. Uh huh. And uh, and uh, do you remember the specific uh, specific uh, feeling of that instrument? Uh, was was it uh, was it a tracker instrument? Was it a mechanical action organ? Was it a, a very old organ? Well, it was what 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 I was interested in as a as a child was more the fact that the sound would be uh, eternal. I mean, you would uh, the sound would not fade away. Uh, that has much changed later because uh, I am rather somebody who is interested in the uh, rhythmical and in the clear uh, playing of the organ. And so long sounds are not so much my thing anymore, but uh, then it was that. Mm -hmm. I see. And um, uh, what happened later, of course, uh, what specifically uh, uh, inspired you to choose a professional organ career? Oh, that was by chance, I would say, because when I um, made my uh, my bachelor in, in school, I uh, jumped one year and my father told me you can do what you want during that year so I went to music school and after the year when I was supposed to go back to the university uh, my teachers told my father you cannot take this boy uh, away he should continue doing music and then my father decided that uh, it was a good idea but first he was a little bit afraid because the profession is not safe of course aha uh -huh. but uh, but the, the times were uh, much different than it is now right the the um, interest with the pipe organ uh, can you say that it was um, more uh, more uh, listeners were more interested in pipe organ uh, during those times than it is now I can't really say that because uh, then there were very few concerts, there were very few international organists around, and uh, there was less public, and there were fewer concerts, of course. So uh, I would say that now probably the interest is uh, bigger because there are organ concerts everywhere, and there's public, some public everywhere. 
right and of course you are known in the world organ world uh, as uh, the the one probably the main the the most uh, legendary living organist uh, who plays about 60 recitals per year and travels the globe multiple times uh, each year so um um, how do you, can you min- maintain this uh, rather busy schedule uh, uh, during your uh, travels? Uh, do you get uh, uh, a little bit uh, uh, tired? What ca- what um, keeps you uh, uh, healthy during these uh, these uh, travels? Well, of course, traveling is not much fun right now, especially with uh, all the things that happen in the world, but. Uh, Still, uh, from the moment when you are on the road, it's okay. And uh, usually now I I accept concerts uh, to play for people I know already. So I have the additional additional, uh, pleasure of meeting old friends and uh, this kind of thing. So uh, the motivation is still there. The musical motivation is still there, but it's enhanced by other motivations. True, true. And Professor Bave, um, you're not only playing uh, organs of various uh, styles and uh, sizes throughout the world, but you also uh, probably hold uh, the record of recording uh, as many as 50 records and CDs um, of organ music, right, on historical instruments of various countries. Um, uh, do you find recording of organ music uh, similar to live rec- uh, performance or it's a little bit different per- experience? Not really. It's very different. I Actually, I don't like very much recording, but sometimes it's necessary. I can give you an example. Uh, when I did my big recording in the Philippines, uh, a few months later, there was the earthquake and the organism are now destroyed. So it is a document. Right, right. Um, like an evidence, right, what was at that time. Um, uh, fortunately, we have now uh, also digital sampling of, of, of the pipes. Sometimes uh, recording engineers can come to these historical organs and uh, record every sound of every pipe and make it into a new uh, sort of a new instrument uh, to, to be like a document, documentation of the extant uh, real historical instrument. So maybe this helps also preserve the uh, original instrument as well. Uh, so, but but of course, when earthquake uh, destroys such an instrument, is is very very sad. By the way, uh, professor uh, professor, um, you you are involved and were involved has have been involved in many uh, preservation of historical instrument projects throughout the world, right? Uh, what inspires you? to consult and advise uh, uh, organ builders and organists and uh, uh, other experts on preservation and restorations of these historical instruments? Well, I think that, uh, of course, we're talking about music, and the best teachers are still the instruments. So if you want to have an idea and have a feeling of how the music was played and what the music really means, then you need to know the instruments. That's the main motivation in preservation of historical instruments. True. Um, Probably one of the best teachers uh, is also 
an instrument itself, right? Uh, it's 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 very important to have a good master uh, besides you when you are studying organ, right? But uh, it's even better if you have an accent to a, to a real instrument, uh, which of course you, you are very well known for for uh, reviving the organ of the Alan family, right? Can you uh, tell us a little bit of a story of of how this project came to be? Yes. Um, when Albert Alain died, the builder of the organ, the father of Jean and of Marie-Claire, uh, when he died, uh, the family had to leave the house where the organ was installed because it was, uh, the family is big and the house was not very big. And uh, at that moment, uh, the organ was in such bad shape that the family thought that it could not be rescued anymore. And also the family suggested to first try to have it classified as the historical monument, and the French uh, authorities refused. Then they tried to have it uh, classified as a non-historical monument, because this is a category that exists in France. And uh, they also refused that. And then they tried to uh, offer it to several conservatories and other institutions, and uh, the restoration, the cost for the restoration of the instrument would have been probably uh, higher than uh, just building a new instrument. So uh, the family was desperate. And um, one day uh, I met Marie-Claire uh, Alain in Stuttgart, and uh, we had a memorable dinner together with uh, colleagues like uh, Jon Laugvik, uh, Ludger Lohmann, and uh, Marta Schuster, and uh, we were talking about the organ, and uh, as we were a little drunk, probably at the end of the meal, I told Marie-Claire, uh, uh, if you give me the organ, I will restore it. So she took a piece of paper from the tablecloth, you know, it was a very simple restaurant, and uh, signed the document that she would give me the organ. So we... Um, we got the organ into Switzerland and uh, started an association, uh, and uh, this association uh, helped us to finance uh, the restoration of the instrument. That's the story. Fantastic story, fantastic work, and and you you are such a great example for people around the world. You know, for for organist of any any country who who just uh, happened to 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 see a valuable historical instrument, maybe in need of restoration, quality restoration, maybe he or she can jump in and uh, uh, try to collect the number of, of friends, uh, a little bit of network to c combine efforts and to f uh, secure funding. And so maybe this valuable instrument uh, in uh, whatever country it is, maybe that will be preserved also. So you are leading by example, Professor, and I'm so delighted uh, that you are doing this uh, up to this day. As, and also as a composer, for example, uh, you are known not only for the organ world, for your uh, more than 250 opus numbers uh, of various music, uh, musical composition, 
compositions but also to the general public uh, because I remember the time when you came to the to Lithuania I remember those uh, seven years ago uh, my choir director from Vilnius University uh, knew about your compositions and I was so fascinating that people f not only from organ world but also from other areas know about you so do you like to compose these days as well professor well I'm still uh, I, I always have something uh, something on the uh, I would say uh, worked on and uh, yes I like it it's 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 not an amusement for me because I I'm not really a composer uh, but uh, I I like it it's a, it's a kind of hobby for me true music is like a language right and you you probably express uh, whatever is not possible in uh, in words you express express in notes right I suppose that uh, yes a real composer would say that uh, what I say is it's it's more a game for me right uh, people love your compositions especially those uh, um, let's say f funny humorous compositions uh, like like the hamburger prelude right uh, and uh, salamanca and um, and these these things are fantastic to play and uh, uh, organists love to play during recitals because uh, the audiences around the world enjoy such a music right in these days when it's um, kind of tricky to connect uh, with the general organ music lover with a scholastic uh, four-part fugue for example but your compositions, oh, you're right. your compositions serve this need uh, for quality organ music but in a kind of different way they connect they tell a story they are uh, they are uh, more uh, more connected to the to the uh, today's person right how you uh, do, when you compose uh, professor do you think of the people who who will be hearing uh, listening to your pieces as well well usually my compositions it's, it's been a few years since i really never composed anything that wasn't a commission mm -hmm. so of course i always think of uh, the people who have commissioned the work right and uh, they will play probably or or find somebody who will play and the the end result do they tell you what kind of venue what kind of organ it will be presented on yes they do uh, usually well one of the last things i did was for a uh, um, new but historic spanish organ in the university of mainz in germany and they had a copy of a spanish a Baroque instrument built, and they asked several composers to compose something new music for the old instrument. So you always think of the instrument, you think of the people, and you think uh, uh, it's, it's, it's more a personal activity than having to express great uh, general feelings like the romantic composers. Mm -hmm. But you know what's remarkable about um, your uh, your music, Professor, is that uh, they sound uh, particularly well on those historical instruments. Uh, I think you are designing those in, with that kind of concept in mind, uh, aren't you? Yes, of course. You, you mentioned Salamanca. Salamanca is written for an organ, a historical organ in Salamanca in Spain. And uh, many of my compositions are thought to be played on historical instruments. Uh, there's another thing is uh, that uh, 
you know, these old organs don't really interest many people in the general public. So it is also important to show that these old organs can also be a vehicle to uh, carry new music or newer music. Absolutely, because uh, if you go, for example, to Italy or to Spain, right, uh, we organists would probably traditionally perform that kind of style, stylistically appropriate music. But if you think about the listener, they probably heard that music uh, hundreds, hundreds of times, right? That kind of style. Um, exactly. So, so your input probably refreshes their spirit also and provides new insights into what is possible. Uh, into uh, from stylistical perspective to be relevant in this time and age. I think you're right, and uh, you know, concert organizers are of course looking for uh, attractive public, uh, attractive problem uh, programs for their public. And uh, very often it happens that if you're invited, for example, on a classical French organ, that the organizer asks you not to play classical French music because everybody does that mm -hmm. and uh, to place the, try to play something else so that the public has a different experience than always hearing the same kind of music well exactly you have to find your own uh, angle to be remarkable in this uh, day and age uh, otherwise you will be just uh, like uh, not on I'm not talking about, about you professor but in general about the organist who will play everything right but if you find your angle to be, try to be remarkable to trying to be something different trying try not to play what everybody else is playing then maybe some you might some have some freshness in your approach too um. well it's just the love to the instrument and that's important because the instruments are extremely important they tell us the secrets of uh, of early music and you can help that with new music. Right. And do you know, Professor, for what kind of instrument uh, uh, did Francisco Correa de Araujo uh, wrote uh, his compositions that, that you uh, 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 issued a new edition of, of his treatise, Facultad Organica? Well, it's a very, it's a standard Spanish instrument uh, with a keyboard of 45 keys, so from C to C, mm -hmm. and uh, the first octave is a short octave, mm -hmm. and the keyboard is divided in bass and treble, so you can have different sounds in the left hand and in the right hand, but it's a very standard instrument. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And uh, of course, uh, Jose Lidon also. Uh, of course, uh, it's different, different, a uh, little bit period, right? Later. Uh, well, of course, it's much later, and Jose Lidon is already in the Scarlatti school, I would say, in the, in the more uh, uh, gallant school of uh, organ music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, do you, uh, you're known also to the organ world uh, as the author of uh, of about uh, or over 2,000 articles, scholarly articles published in various musical journals and magazines uh, on matters related to the organ art. Do you find that uh, writing, writing in text, uh, uh, your ideas uh, helps uh, helps to preserve the the pipe organ art? I don't know, but uh, you know, since I'm the redactor of uh, 
of one of those uh, publications, uh, you have to write 60 pages every three months, and so you you write about just about anything that comes into your mind. <laughs> right, you have those editorial deadlines probably set up for you <laughs> internally, not only externally. So you you have kind of internal motivation to be useful, right, for the organ profession, but also external, because you know that people will wait for your uh, uh, words and wisdom, right? Um, do, you, do, you, do you find it um, um, a difficult process to, to uh, contribute in scholarly articles, or is it, co it comes to you easy, like, like one, two, three? It's very easy because there's always something new, interesting that comes up, and uh, uh, so so you feel like uh, writing something or uh, researching something, and uh, it goes. The, the organ world is very very big, and so one of the last things I did was an article on uh, the Third Symphony by Saint-Saëns. So you see that it's not only early music, but it's also romantic music. Sometimes it's modern music. Uh, so you have uh, all kinds of... It's, it's, it's all such an interesting world that uh, uh, it's, it's not very difficult to find subjects. Mm -hmm. True. You only have to keep your eyes and ears open, right, for the ideas, and they will come to you. Yeah, I think so, yes. Mm -hmm. Inevitably. Um, uh, only uh, when, when they come to us, right, those ideas, uh, our uh, responsibility is probably to do something with, with, those, uh, with those ideas, because probably one of the worst things we can do is to forget those ideas and to dismiss probably them and not to do anything about that. Oh, you think these, these things are always recorded somewhere in a library or so, and maybe sometimes, you know, something you write will be useful 50 years later or 100 years later. Yes, that's that's our um, vision, right? To be, to to help spread the word about uh, pipe organ art and uh, in in whatever way we can. And when you travel the world, not only uh, with organ recitals and uh, various other activities, you also teach, right? During master classes and workshops in many universities and academies. Do you find that the level of uh, of organists throughout the world changing, improving as the time Oh yes, passes? It, it is improving very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it is much more difficult for young organists now to find work and to survive on that profession. True. Uh, everybody is so competitive, right? They they can play well, fast and loud, everybody is very technically advanced, right? But how, how can you, as a young person, for example, how can you um, um, basically find your, your place in our uh, organ world? Do you have any um, insights about that? Well, there are still the competitions. Mm -hmm. And then I think that uh, any any artist needs a kind of motor that means somebody to manage him or or, or to know how to manage himself or herself. Mm -hmm. So that is, of course, difficult. But, uh, and you know, many organists do the business of, uh, you know, you invite me, I invite you. Right. This kind of uh, of things that, that brings sometimes good organists and sometimes not so good organists. Uh, and, and as I said, the, the competitions, uh, records, mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, and so, so everybody tries to find a place. But it is really much more difficult now than it was then. Right, because uh, there are so many, so many of us, right, doing the same yes. thing. Um, and Professor, um, w w when you uh, serve as a juror for international organ competitions, uh, do you do you uh, find that uh, uh, the approach of performing something just once, just like uh, in a race, in in a athletics or or in a kind any kind of competitive sport, is representative of that uh, person's uh, level, artistic level? No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, what I'm interested in is really uh, if the person, the player, is able to, uh, I would say, to carry a musical message and to convince a listener just by her or his playing. And not really whether he does things right uh, or whether he plays no wrong notes or something like that. So usually you hear... If somebody's good, you hear that after five or ten seconds, you already know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, some people need to be educated further and need to learn about uh, some of the historical details. But the, the, I don't think that's the most interesting, and I don't think that's the most important part of the job. The most important part of the job is to find musicians that can communicate. True, true. When you go to these competitions, do you try those in instruments yourself ahead of time? Well, uh, usually I inform myself about the repertoire which mm -hmm. is going to uh, to be played in, in the competition because sometimes there are pieces that one doesn't know. For, for example, comp many competitions have a modern piece. Uh, usually it's a piece that has been commissioned or uh, quite a modern Uh, modern music, so you have to be prepared uh, to to have an idea to listen to that music, uh, even if you don't know it, if you don't have played it yourself. But uh, the most important thing is really the communication of the artist, and that you can hear even if you don't know a piece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, and uh, Professor, um, your activities throughout the world uh, in terms of uh, um, advancing organ art and organ as an instrument itself has, has been um, um, uh, awarded and recognized by various uh, um, honorary citizen, citizen uh, awards, uh, for example, in the city of Dallas, right, uh, in Texas, or honorary doctor of the, uh, award uh, of the University of Neuchâtel. Um, and I've read, uh, read about you that you've been awarded uh, by the Japanese government, right? Uh, yes, the Japanese government, the Philippine government. Mm -hmm. I have a, a honorary doctor also from the, uh, from the Chopin University in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, sure, you know, the people who are now in charge for these things have been students earlier, and very many times I find out, uh, when we went to Warsaw for this uh, ceremony there, I found out that the rector of the university had been a student in my courses 30 years before. True. Uh, uh, I remember... I remember you came here in Vilnius, right? And um, 
in Vilnius also uh, you you met this um, mechanical action organ, uh, which, by the way, was uh, kind of uh, uh, independently or or uh, or otherwise inspired by your words, Rimantas Guchas, the ma- maker of this instrument and our common friend, um, was inspired by your initiative to uh, or recommendation to do this. Um, to do this mechanically, to do this uh, the original way, so mm-hmm. so your your efforts to really preserve the that kind of art is very very interesting and uh, and valuable to the world. And professor, when we talk about uh, a little bit about Far East, about Japan, when you go there, do you find that situation about the pipe organ there is different from the Western society? Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, not much. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, they don't have, or they have very few church organs, but uh, there are some churches with organs, some Christian churches mm-hmm. with organs. But there, the, the organ business is really a concert, a concert hall business. But uh, I would say that the Japanese have come along very, very fast, very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, and they have because it's, of course, a very cultivated society as well. And um, we have seen over the years the Japanese understanding better and better uh, Western music. Mm-hmm. And uh, this went pretty fast, really, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have similar, I would not say problems, but we have similar phenomena with the people from, uh, from South Korea, uh, with the people from China, uh, and um, but but that is not going to be very long because now everything in the culture is going uh, very fast, and uh, people learn very fast. Also, many people study abroad, and I was surprised the other day I was in Saint Petersburg and uh, to find an organ in the classical French style and an organ in the. Gottfried Silbermann style in the Finnish church in St. Petersburg, and uh, and so on. So uh, all this is going really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, organ art is becoming a global phenomenon, probably, right? Global meaning, uh, meaning that the ideas from the... Uh, uh, hemisphere to hemisphere, from one continent to another continent, can can cross in seconds, right? Now with technology, and can in, influence organ builders in 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 many countries, right? I think so. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, for, for example, uh, well, you, you you're in Vilnius, uh, and Vilnius was the first city where I went in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, long, long time ago. It was in the 60s. Right. Uh, the first time when it was still in the Soviet Union. Uh, because I met, uh, your big, uh, uh big master, uh, Leopoldas Digris. And Leopoldas Digris I had met, uh, in a competition and then he asked me to compose something. And I, the first time I came was to listen to the first, uh, uh performance of this concerto in the concert hall in Vilnius, and then I played in the cathedral and played very in Kaunas, also in other places. Uh, and that was the beginning. And But then uh, it was quite interesting to see that the Soviet Union uh, did actually very good 
things. Uh, they had many, many concert organs built in all the cities of the Union, and that was a, a really good decision, and that was also something that helped uh, spreading the art of the organ throughout uh, the entire continent. So uh, one has to acknowledge that because uh, uh, it, it was remarkable to see how uh, the Soviet government understood that this could be interesting as well. And then uh, coming back to the Far East, the Japanese also have very quickly realized that they should build organs. And uh, first they started buying organs in Western Europe. And then uh, they had some good organ builders that were uh, educated in, in Europe and that started building good instruments also in Japan. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, uh, they have their own their own organ builders, the same uh, in the Philippines. They have a very good organ builder in the Philippines. And I'm sure that uh, in, in not long time there will be organ builders also in South Korea. There will be organ builders in China. There will be organ builders uh, about everywhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's interesting to see how uh, this our instrument has awakened interest in far away countries true and professor of course when you when you look at those uh, eastern countries they're not particularly connected with the christianity right uh, and the organ was the uh, the flagship of that uh, of that um, idea idea movement right in christianity and organ was connected ve- uh, very much for centuries right even now probably um, it has a quite uh, quite uh, strong at least heritage but uh, what about those countries who adapt uh, organ as uh, specifically musical instrument concert instrument how, how they manage to uh, i mean connect those uh, secular ideas with sacred uh, musical compositions for example well i suppose that uh uh, the organ should be first uh, a musical instrument, and actually we suffer in in Western Europe. We suffer from the connotation, the amalgam between the church and the organ. I don't say that uh, religious music is not good. I don't say that, but I say that uh, the organ can play normal music as well. And that it is very good that some countries that don't have a Christian background have started building organs latest, like the Soviet Union, just like Japan and so, uh, started building organs as musical instruments. And very often we have to fight here against uh, mediocre organists who play just in churches and have, of course, an audience and have also a salary to play in these churches. And sometimes uh, they are not really good ambassadors for uh, for the music. So uh, the problem is complex. But I think that, uh, of course, the organ has started uh, used, being used in Christian churches, but I think that uh, there is a lot of good organ music. It might be inspired by... Uh, by sacred ideas, but uh, there's lots of good organ music that has nothing to do 
with the church and uh, which is uh, perfectly valuable as well as just as pure music. When you go throughout the world and, uh, Professor, uh, try out different kinds of organs, right? In, in, in those churches, for example, when you find mediocre organists and, uh, and a very general uh, audience or congregation which doesn't even know what's possible on their instrument, don't they tell you after your concert uh, that they didn't know that their instrument can sound like that? Yes, of course, they say that all the time. Mm -hmm. True. It's, it's because uh, their local organist, of course, uh, doesn't show any interest, probably, or, or ability, let's say, to, to expand his or her horizons, right? To, to educate a little bit uh, his congregation. Mm, well, you know, even when the local organist is excellent, Uh, when somebody else comes and plays the instrument that the people know, uh, the sounds are different. The way to uh, use the stops and the way to touch the keyboards is different. And very often, even in churches where uh, we have very, very good uh, organists, uh, I've, I've been hearing, uh, saying, oh, we never heard that sound or we never... And this kind of statements after the concert. So it's not only when they are mediocre organists, but it's, all, it's just that when you have a different artist, the instrument sounds differently. Mm -hmm. We even, uh, when, when I was teaching in America, we were uh, sometimes with my students uh, experimenting, having the same piece played by several students with the same registration, Uh, and still the organ sounded completely different when it was played by one person or by another. Mm -hmm. True. Every person is different, every organ is different, and if you, if you touch, touch the, same, the same organ but with different approach, it might sound quite dr drastically different, right? I think so, because uh, also the interaction between uh, what uh, playing, I mean, the physical act of playing, of hitting the keys, of uh, pressing the keys and of releasing them, uh, depends also uh, whether how the organist is listening to the sound that comes out of the organ. So uh, if there is a close relationship between what you hear and the way the instrument is played, then, uh, of course, it becomes very interesting. You know, Professor, I've heard that you recorded one particular recording uh, with uh, mechanical noises of the pipe organ. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Oh, that, that was just a joke. Uh, we, we just noticed that the organ was very noisy, Then I played a piece by Bach. Uh, it was actually a chorale from the Orgelbüchlein. And uh, I played the piece by Bach just for fun. And then the result was quite funny. And the noises were interesting, so we, we thought we would put it on the, on the record as a joke. Many people didn't understand that it was a joke. And, and even last year, still, some musicologists uh, from America called me to ask me where I found that manuscript, and I told him, well, look in the Orgelbüchlein by Bach, and you will find the manuscript. Fantastic. So, uh, well, it, it, it was just a joke. Right. And those kind of musical adventures you encounter 
probably in every city when you where, where you go wherever you you appear right uh, professor do you do you find uh, do you need lots of time for a preparation of these concerts on unfamiliar instruments i never know you may have you know you can have 60 years of experience and still not know whether you will need six hours, nine hours, or two hours to prepare a recital on an organ that you don't know before. So that, that all depends on, on, on many things. It might also be just how you feel yourself and how the acoustics and, and so on and so on. So you, you, you can never know. I always try to come uh, to a place two days before the concert. Mm -hmm. And do you feel any kind of anxiety about the f the factor of the unknown uh, during Not really. I, I feel anxiety when I'm not uh, well prepared, but uh -huh. uh, but <laughs> not when I'm well prepared. Then you know, this is just as the Russians say, "Все You know, you, uh, you you just you just play the best you can, and then you know things happen. True. True. Of course, you're also known as an improviser, great, fantastic improviser. What is more, more um, fascinating to you, playing repertoire or improvising? I don't like improvising anymore. No. So I, don't, I try not to do it anymore in concerts. Uh, it's fantastic for a, a service playing. And sometimes just to make a little encore, but uh, I try not to improvise in concerts anymore because um, you tend to fall into the same patterns all the time, and people are expecting some kind of circus number uh, and all that. So it's a combination of the expectation of the public and also of uh, your limitations and... Of course, also, there are so many excellent improvisers now in the world that, uh, uh, well, there are always people that can do it better than oneself. Uh, on the other hand, uh, playing a piece that is written uh, is always probably better than improvising a piece. I don't know. It, it, it is just, uh, you, you cannot give general rules for that, but it, i just tell you in... Uh, actually, the, what it boils down to is that I don't really like anymore to improvise in concerts. But I can testify myself when you visited Vilnius the last time, seven years ago. You tried out this mechanical organ at St. John's Church and you did improvise in front of a few people, right? Uh, your wife Marisa was there, myself and uh, a few others, right? And. Uh, it was it was just as uh, fascinating to hear as a written out piece, at least for me. Yes, uh, improvising is wonderful for trying organs because uh, when you don't know an organ, the organ will tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Then when you play a program, then you you, you know the organ and uh, you try to make a program that will be suitable for the organ. But it's not really, uh, well, trying out organs, making organ trips to discover or instruments that you don't know, then improvising is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. Right, as a, tr as a tryout, as a warm-up, as getting to know the instrument more closely, right? Yes, and, and you can see, if you look, for example, in the compositions by Bach, many compositions, for example, uh, think of Toccata in C major, Toccata, Adagio, and Fugue. 
This is typical. At the beginning, uh, Bach is trying out the organ. He tries the keyboards, then he tries the pedal board, and still no idea coming. And then suddenly, at the end of that, you have an idea. If you look, for example, also at the Prelude Fugue in A minor, uh, the beginning... Uh, he tries with one hand, he, he starts playing and does this kind of, uh, of arpeggios, uh, chromatic going down, and then suddenly the idea is coming and then he starts uh, playing real music. But uh, you can see that, of course, uh, many of his compositions are imitating somebody who is improvising first and trying out things and then suddenly has an idea and starts making music. If, uh, when, when talking about Bach, for example, or other composers of that period, do you think they first improvised their pieces and then written down later, or or vice versa, the opposite way? No, no. I think I think they first improvised because uh, in that time, you know, until the end of the 18th century, uh, composers were only composing for the poor colleagues who didn't know how to improvise. And uh, basically, if you look at Frescobaldi, if you look at many other composers, it is just this kind of pieces could be improvised by by people, but uh, a composer would publish some works because his improvisations are better than other ones, and so he knew that he could sell them. And uh, I, I think that, uh, of course, first everybody was improvising. And then when the music became more complicated, I would say from Johann Sebastian Bach, from that moment, uh, the music was getting so complicated that uh, you had to write it down if you wanted to make elaborate fugues, just like Bach did. Uh, the little fugados that you find in the in, in books de Hude's work, for instance, the little fugato could be improvised, could still be improvised. They're short, and they're never very elaborate. But uh, then, of course, came the time when writing down the music was necessary. Do you think that uh, today the young organists uh, from around the world uh, would still need to learn the art of improvisation in addition to performance? Is it valuable uh, skill? I would say the young uh, young musicians, young children should learn to improvise before they learn to play written music. And uh, it would be very in important to teach children to improvise before making them play the prelude, first prelude of Bach's well-tempered clavier or, or, or whatever they play, uh, but to to teach them how to relate to the instrument and uh, to improvise something, to play a song that they have heard and all that. So uh, I would say absolutely everybody should learn to improvise. Mm -hmm. Start basically musical education from, from, from improvisation? <coughs> Probably, I, su I suppose so, yes. Well, it's less stressful at least, right? You don't need to learn the grand staff, right? Notation right away. You can try out things and little by little add some notational practices. Um, but uh, get to know the instrument uh, from inside out uh, in, a, in a really really gentle way by just playing it, probably. Yeah, I think so. In any case, uh, 
an immediate uh, relationship to the instrument is something that is uh, important. Right, right. And professor, uh, professor, um, when we look into the future, for example, I know that Christian Church is probably, in many cases, is no longer interested in in advancing the the organ art and uh, at least uh, preserving the instruments for the future generations. What is the 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 main uh, uh, road or the path organ world uh, might take? in order to preserve this art for future generations? Well, um, you're right. I mean, the, the church is probably losing, uh, losing ground mm-hmm. now. Uh, but uh, first of all, I don't think that this will last forever. There will certainly be a comeback. Uh, now, the fact that the priests and the pastors are not educated musically anymore uh, is a problem of education. And the problem of education is the same problem everywhere in the schools. Uh, music lessons and things like that, uh, or foreign languages, uh, or things like that. They're everywhere the quality is going down. So this is one of the problems. Now, uh, the church, uh, I think it's it's almost good that the church is for the music that the church is losing ground because it will eliminate all this uh, the bad players. It will eliminate the bad music. You know all these terrible little chorales by Pachelbel and and Böhm and, and and all these mediocre composers of the past and of the present. Uh, it will uh, just make that uh, only the best will survive. So I am not very concerned about that. Uh, the only thing is that, uh, well, and in many cases you can say before the church was supporting art, now it's the art that is supporting church. So uh, Absolutely true, uh, Professor, yeah. Because yeah, art. so... Uh, because uh, well, me, you because, know, because uh, the art uh, uh, adds more value now to the church, right? Then yes, the, uh, exactly. So, so I think that uh, I, I'm not really, I'm not really concerned. I think that uh, there is an evolution uh, that is cyclical, and uh, for the moment, it's going in that direction. But perhaps it will come back later. Uh, in, you know, in the world, you always have had um, big, big moments for one particular thing, and then, or even the nations, you know, uh, nations that have been powerful before now are uh, second or third uh, rank nations uh, in, in political terms. Uh, all, all this is just changing, and. Uh, I think that all we can do is try to make uh, as good music as possible and uh, not be too much concerned uh, about uh, about the education. That is another concern because uh, we have to educate our children and our students so that they keep a certain level of civilization. And obviously this is not being done correctly everywhere and not at all levels. So, but you know, then we could about that. We could talk for hours. 
true and uh, of course uh, the church faces many problems right and education is not uh, quality education worldwide in terms of cultural and musical uh, background right but but that systematic uh, problematic uh, problem uh, do you think professor that a regular uh, person like uh, like let's say an organist living in in, in a particular city or town could uh, help to preserve organ art in his city, for example, by doing organ demonstrations for children of, of his school, for, for inviting uh, audiences to listen to other uh, storytelling improvisations, for example, which connect with the audience, doing these things, uh, innovative things and uh, creative things. Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that uh, we, we have something to do for the public. And what we do for the public, we do for our instrument. Mm -hmm. True. And of course, when you arrange, for example, this kind of demonstration for six, seven, eight, or eleven-year-olds, from time to time, you might get an interest, uh, interesting, curious child come up to you and say, say or, or ask, "Where can I find out more about the organ? Who can teach me to play?" Right? And that's how. Oh yes, it happens. It happens more often than one thinks. So fantastic uh, uh, conversation, professor. So thought-provoking and gives a lot of ideas for people around the world. Uh, before we end this uh, uh, interview, Professor Bove, could you uh, please give our listeners a place or a link where they can find uh, more information about you and your work? Well, I, I have a I have a web page. It is www. And then Gibove in one word uh, and uh, dot o r g. Right, Gibove dot org. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And and there they can find. They will find also a lot of other links to to other uh, projects and and things. And uh, so the, if if they pass through this uh, site, they can find uh, some information. You've been so generous with your time and, and ideas, Professor. Uh, before we end, we, for the final question, can you go back into your early uh, um, years of playing the organ and can, could you share something that you wish you knew when you first started playing organ? Well, not really, because I had excellent teachers uh -huh. and then... Uh, and also, what was what is important is that it was in the time where you could have excellent teachers, but the teachers didn't know anything, didn't know anything about history uh, and so on. So, uh, people of my generation had to go to libraries, had to travel to find out what would interest them, and uh, uh, it, it was very. Now you find everything on the internet. But then you had really to work to uh, find information. And uh, I think that was a chance. It was a chance because uh, having to travel to Prague to look at a, a manuscript instead of just uh, staying home and uh, hitting uh, the keys of your computer uh, also makes that uh, what you find uh, is, is more valuable to you. Mm -hmm. So I would say that... Uh, 
of course, I have worked a lot, uh, and, and many of my colleagues have worked a lot uh, to get the information that is now easy to find and that most of the good organ teachers we have in the world will ju just give to, you, to their students. But uh, uh, I think that what you have found yourself uh, always helps you more than what you have learned from others. Right. You are your own teacher in a way, right? In a certain way, yes. So thank you for this uh, piece of advice to be, well, to stay curious, right? To, to look for things, to try to uh, reinvent things, to, to, to stay ahead of, of the pack, basically, right? Yes. Well, that was a good conversation. Thank you, Mr. Pinkevicius, and uh, I, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, and I will keep in touch. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you online really soon.